Good evening, Elvin. Good evening, Turpin. Uh. How are you? Oh. <laughs> Should we leave that for um, later in the show? Yeah. To say I'm unprepared is a mild understatement. Um, and okay. I, th- I think some of our best shows have been where we've been woefully undercooked. <clears throat> this will uh, not be the proof in the pudding of the eating. Oh, stop it. <laughs> stop that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's the first time I've ever not finished editing last week's um, in, and got it out, if you see what I mean. Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten that. <laughs> we were, missus. I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten. Yeah, I haven't posted it yet. I just haven't had a second to myself. But anyway, do you want to introduce um, this sham- shambolic show? Welcome. Welcome to the uh, always amateurish North v South, uh, the podcast about but not about design. I'm Rob Turpin and um, slightly flustered fellow at the other end of the Skype is John Elliman. Hello. I put the, uh, I put the pro into prolapse. Uh, right. First things first. Just open. I'm opening the Colonel. <clears throat> Do you know the Colonel Brewery? Yeah, Bermondsey. Well, I think they were. Yeah, yeah. that oh, is a super super hoppy. Well, it's an export stout. Oh, so it's seven and a half percent. All the stuff I've got left from uh, my beer bods career is. Uh, it's very strong. There's barley wine and all sorts of things in there. Barley wine, that takes me back. I've never had it. It sounds like something um, Frodo would drink. <laughs> it's just a really strong beer, isn't it? Why is it called barley wine? <clears throat> I'm guessing because of the alcohol content. Okay. Uh, uh, right. So, uh, so how's your week? Um, yeah, it's been... Pretty full on, I have to say. I've um I've been to London Town this today today, um, really? which is a rare a rare occur- occurrence. But um, I was you had a nosebleed. <laughs> but I was up there early and back by lunch. Uh, I had a lot to do back here, yeah. so I had to rush back. <clears throat> uh, and Good meeting. It, weird. I will explain later. Um, you are. And I, what else have been doing? Um, oh, I sent out all my first set of prints um, at the beginning of the week and throughout this week. Yeah. That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, we've had a nice little smattering of orders, which has tested uh, the lack of process that I have for anything. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. I'm sure it's a, a well-oiled machine. <laughs> no, not really. I've, a lot of clients have come back in um, with un, unscheduled work. So um, okay. that's sort of knocked me a bit sideways. So I'm just trying Fair to deal, deal with that. They're all back off their summer holidays and um, back into the swing of things, I guess. I guess. Yeah, just back into old habits that I spent nearly a year trying to teach them not to do. And then they go on holiday and come back with their, yeah, things like dead, you should you buy, know, jobs without deadlines. Love those. Yeah. You should buy them a book. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, yeah. Uh, Rob bought me a book last week, which is, um, I think we mentioned it, Look, You're My Favourite Client. It's the second book from Mike Montero who's design head at Mule Design, are they called? Mule yeah, Studios. Yeah. Um, and um, it's about, it's a book to give to clients. Um, and we'll be talking about that a bit later. Oh, In the meantime, what have you been doing? 
Uh, it's been another Shoreditch week. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it started off very quiet. I got in to work on Monday and at 9.15, and I think it was about 11.30 before they rustled up any work for me. So they booked me in all week to cover for someone, and then the, the uh, sort of production manager hadn't had time to collate some work. So I was twiddling my thumbs for a couple of hours. What do you I, do was, during that time? Do you just sit there? Uh, um, I was doodling some ideas for a couple of projects. Ah. Uh, reading the internets, all of it. And um, yeah, that was about it. So that kind of carried on a bit through Tuesday. I was a bit struggling for things to do. And then today and yesterday, uh, very busy. But that was fine. And I've been trying to kind of squeeze in uh, little bits of thinking for some upcoming projects as well. So I'm thinking a lot about uh, the prints, which, as you've mentioned, have been um, finding their way to their new homes for the first time, which is good and exciting. I've seen quite a few nice messages on Instagram saying people have bought things or on Twitter. Uh, so I've been thinking a bit about what to do next. I've just finished a commission that I'm going to... Uh, use a version of for a set of prints. That's quite cool. And then I've got a couple of little projects um, that are just starting. So I'm just doing the kind of thumbnailing uh, um, moment for those. Um, But I'll mention those a bit later because we're going to talk a little bit about old days. Yeah. A day in the life of John and a day in the life of Rob. Yeah, I always thought that um, it was Sunday Times magazine, wasn't it? At the back page. Is, is it still like that? I don't Maybe. Um, and it was called Life in the Day of. Um, and I always wondered, mm. I always thought that was a typo. But it must <laughs> be just a thing. Has it always been called yeah. a Life in the Day of? I don't know. I'm not a Times reader. No. So it's basically uh, a distillation of someone's life in a few paragraphs. Um, and uh, I think it was... Um, Oh, what's that magazine called? Um, off-screen magazine. Uh, yes. Has lots of those where they get up and eat um, mango mango root and yeah. meditate I I really, four hours I, from four till eight. I do love these kind of day-in-the-life things. I love that, like peering behind the curtain of other people's kind of professional lives. But yeah, some of the stuff you see on design blogs and in off-screen magazine and, you yeah. know, it's like... They wake up and do an hour of yoga and then have, uh, I don't know, some flaxseed smoothie while doing downward dog or something. You think, really? Yeah. You know, and obviously they get up at like 5 a.m. Yeah, that's pretty much been my week and a, quite a bit of reading, which is nice. So I read the Mike Montero book and then you bought me a book. You, uh, we mentioned uh, my website of the week last week was Robert McFarlane on Twitter, who writes about kind of words for different words and things for curious natural things places and natural phenomenon stuff and you pointed out that he's he's written a, a book and you use some of that book and it's it's lovely so that's kind of had me thinking about names of places and places i grew up and spent my childhood um so it's really really nice quite a weird book to read on a commute through you know suburban southwest london and into the east end because it's very sort of pastoral, um, but lovely. Makes me want to don a pair of walking boots 
News. Do you want to start, John? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to start. It's uh, you're, you're carrying 28th. the news today, Rob. It's the it's the 28th of September. So that means there's only three days left until I have to start drawing uh, every day for a month. I think you're going to join in this month, this year, aren't you? I am. Uh, for it is Inktober, which is Jake Parker, who's a, an illustrator. He used to work at an animation studio. And he's a, he's a great illustrator and a great kind of enthusiast for drawing. Um, and he created this initiative called Inktober. So every October, you are encouraged to participate and produce one ink pen drawing a day for the whole month. And you tag them on social media with Inktober. And it just kind of gets everyone together and it's a bit of a community. It's a good way to practice and kind of get excited about your art and um, it can have some proper benefits as well. Cause I found out last year with my Instagram last year, I did the isometric buildings for the first time. And my Instagram following went up from, I think it was just over 10 or just under 10, um, thousand to 25,000 in the month. So lots of people search for Inktober on social media. So it's kind of a good way to get your name out there. I'm having to learn all this hashtagging stuff. So what what was the, uh, does it raise money or anything like that? Or is it just literally no, raising awareness of drawing? Yeah, it's it's really uh, an initiative to to get people to draw more or to practice or to improve their skills. It's not associated with uh, anything financial or um, charitable. It's purely uh, a drawing initiative. Mm. I think it's been going for about six years, maybe six or seven years. And it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, go And what uh, have you, have you, can you announce what you're going to be drawing? I am. I can. Yes. Um, I actually ran a little poll on Twitter to ask what I should draw. And, um, I think I had 110 votes or something. And 50% of them said I should do narrative, uh, a short narrative piece. So I'm going to. That was deci- an idea decisive then, yeah? 50%. Well, well, there were four options. Ah, right. So okay. That was quite decisive. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've had this idea for a comic for, I don't know, a couple of years now called Asteroid Belt Blues. And as someone who's never done any narrative art before, a comic is probably a bit of a big. Uh, too big a step for me to take in one go. So I'm going to distill it and I'm going to do a story in 31 panels, um, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Um, slightly inspired by an artist called Travis Charest, who produced um, a comic strip called Space Girl. And he did them all in uh, kind of like widescreen format panels. Just one panel. I don't know how often he does them. Um, and I, I just thought it would be a really nice, kind of manageable way to do something that would stretch me a little bit as I don't do comic stuff. Mm. And are you going to stick to a square format then for Instagram? No, I'm going to do widescreen. Yeah. Because it'll go on, you know, it's going to go on Twitter as well. Um, so yeah, not overly suited to Instagram, but 
Uh, I, w- I didn't want to do Square. I don't know why. Mm. I quite like the story I've got is quite, it's set in space and I want it to feel quite empty. And I figured widescreen would suit it. Oh, well, best of luck. Mm. Uh, I'm fine. You've posted also a video of how to do Inktober. So if anyone's interested in it, they can go on to mrjakeparker.com forward slash Inktober and yep. uh, watch a film, read a bit about how it's, how it's done. Yeah, he does lots of great videos, kind of watching him draw and talking about the business of being an illustrator. Uh, so it's good. He's a good guy to follow. Uh, so have you decided what you're going to do? Oh, yeah, I'm going to be doing the history of print. Such a good idea. <laughs> great. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, I've already done three large drawings that I haven't really shown yet, but um, uh, of sort of history of um of the different printing machines, but this will be more like a curated character led uh, sort of journey through print, but not just print, but um, before print and maybe after who knows I've got 31 panels to fill. So yeah, uh, yeah. it's not like I'm busy <laughs> well, enough as it, as it is, <laughs> but maybe, maybe I'll go from, uh, from zero followers to a hundred. Oh, I'm sure you do better. <laughs> Uh, there's been quite a lot actually on Instagram, uh, on Twitter with illustrators sort of taking the mickey out of Inktober a little bit because there's lots of sort of hand wringing about, you know, what should I do for Inktober? Have I got time to do Inktober? So there's been a bit of a, a tiny bit of a backlash against that this year with people taking the mickey out of it and saying, you know, they're not going to do it. They're too busy to do. They're too busy with real work to do stuff. But I think it's great. It's really worked for me in the past. So I'm going to stick with it. Uh, next bit of news Bloomsbury uh, the publishers have released a set of 10 modern classics um, with nice simple designs but with new covers by illustrators and designers um, and I like them I think they're pretty nice they're, they, like, they're like graphic right, novels aren't they they are a bit yeah Greg Heinemann who's the art, one of the art directors um, at Bloomsbury who oversaw these this set um, said he wanted to concentrate on the kind of cinematic quality of these particular 10 novels. So he commissioned them as um, uh, film posters, really. So kind of a single image describing a single scene in the book kind of thing. Um, but I, th- I think without, although they all look fab, I think without the kind of associated titling that you get with a film poster because on these book covers the the titles are relegated to the the, the bottom um the the author's names at the top so the image is just left blank or left clear of text i think they look more like um <clears throat> early last century travel posters um particularly three or four of them have kind of got that flat illustrated quality that you got kind of screen printed travel posters of the 1930s, um, you know, come to Skegness, it's bracing type thing. Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's an ad on the, uh, I saw on the telly last night that's it, filmed in that style. Um, have you seen it? Okay. Animated thing. I think it's a promoting, uh, promoting rail. It might even be rail. Okay. Um, no, and no, it's no, kind I've of like, the, it's kind of follows the famous five, but it's all been um, toned in that kind of green and yellows and, yeah, soft pastel 
kind of. I've got to admit, it's a style I really, really like. Um, I'm just not sure it suits suits books. I don't know. It, yeah, I mean, the illustrations themselves are, are fantastic. Oh, they're great. Really like, um, yeah, I guess part of it is part of the reason they reissue these with new covers is to talk about them, isn't it, and to get a bit of publicity. So. I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, I'm, I'm very partial to a pub that has those signs that look like a screen-printed um, travel poster. There's one in just around the corner from me in Hampton Hill called the Roebuck, and that's got that really flat but layered image of trees and uh, deer. Yeah. I really like that style. Uh, sticking with uh, illustration, uh, there's a really good article on – Core Door, which I've never heard of before. I saw this on Twitter. Um, and it is about Mobius, so Jean Giraud, the French uh, illustrator, who uh, is most famous for things like the Incal and uh, Blueberry, which is his Western uh, series of comics that he did in the 60s and 70s, and I think all the way through to the 80s, maybe longer. And it's about his use of uh, reference photos and I think until recently in illustration the use of reference photos was not necessarily frowned upon but it was kind of like a dirty little secret and a lot of people did it but no one really admitted to it um, and I think people seem to be more open about it now particularly lots of comic artists there's people on Twitter and Instagram posting the pictures that they take of themselves kind of frowning or with their hand around a broom handle pretending to be a gun or and you and then they post the illustrations and you see how uh, accurately they they use that reference um but uh mobius was really uh really really used reference um if you look at that link that core door it's got a series of his um illustrations for blueberry um and He's he's just effectively nicked nicked the reference from films or um, kind of old photographs. You know, there's pictures of John Wayne from a film, and it's uh, they're kind of remarkable. They're the perfect recreations in Mobius's style of these photographs that he's then used for either his comics or book covers. Um, and it, in some ways, it's. His, his use of photo reference is one of the most obvious I've ever seen in that he he doesn't really change the image at all. He finds the perfect reference and draws it. Mm. Um, and uh, it reminded me of a, a, uh, an article I'd seen uh, recently. We were talking about Norman Rockwell a couple of weeks ago when uh, there was a homage to one of his pictures in Mad Magazine. Um, and there's a great article, Beautiful Decay, about his use of reference photographs and he in a way went one step further than Mobius in that he hired models or used friends and family and took photographs of them posed exactly as he wanted them to be in his illustrations so there's a series of um, his uh, illustrations in this article with the associated reference photographs uh, and again it's it's kind of remarkable you know he there's an awful lot of, um, uh, you know, you know, they're they're very accurate, you know, they're, they're sort of authentic to the to the photographs. 
Yeah, very you know, much. Even the folds in the dress and stuff, aren't they? Yeah, he doesn't throw an awful lot of other stuff in there. Um, but it's fab, and it doesn't in any way lessen the power or the beauty of his illustrations, I don't think. Which I think what you know, comic artists and illustrators are, are realising now. I guess when you're young and you kind of grow up trying to copy things, if you're, if you're um, you know, you love drawing, like I did mm. as a kid, you kind of think that you learn that at art school, that how to draw anatomy perfectly or, yeah. you know, um, architecture perfectly. But you need reference, don't you? I mean, even yeah. when I'm drawing a hand or whatever, I still look at my hand and, and yeah, absolutely. use that. So how is that any more valid than using reference material and kind yeah. of when you when you think about it it's like yeah of course they do of course they use these things I know. Um, you just you you do grow up looking at these these artists and people you admire and just you just assume that there's this little bit of magic that they've acquired that allows them to do things um without reference mm. but it's just not the case that you know i think the artist who draws certainly people without references is, is a rare beast indeed i can only really think of um uh, Kim Jung-ji, the Korean artist who we've talked about before, who has a photographic memory, uh, who seems to be able to conjure anything up without any reference at all. Uh, but a very good article, to, a couple of articles to look at and realise that you can you can indeed use reference without fearing your, uh, or diluting your art. Yeah. In fact, when, when we went on this, um, when I went to Houston, Houston uh, a few years ago um, with these artists and they were having to do live drawings. Uh, some of the requests from um, people who were passing by could could leave little post-it notes. Um, mm. You know, they were so complicated, like, I don't know, the Millennium Falcon, and they were so specific to a visual, uh, you know, reference that they had to yeah. look at, you know, go away and look at images on their phones or yeah, however we could get them. And they, the, uh, because the clients saw this, they, they really didn't like it. They thought it was disingenuous um, yeah. because they thought that, you know, these artists, you know, talented um, artists, but they need reference. And uh, they thought that they yeah. were cheating in somehow. <laughs> yeah. There's just been um, a comic con up in Leeds called Thought Bubble, which I've never been to. I'd really like to. And a lot of the people uh, who go there will take commissions and do sort of live sketching and stuff. And I just couldn't, couldn't even begin to, <laughs> to do that. Um, this week I was doing a bit of sketching on the train and I feel incredibly self-conscious because, you know, you get people stood up kind of looking down and you think, God, what are they going to think of this God awful scribble that, you know, makes no sense to anyone apart from me. So I can't imagine doing a, uh, comic con. One more bit of news, which I think we talked about a while ago when it was announced. Leica have produced a um, Polaroid camera. Yeah, the Sofort, wasn't it? Called? Was it? Called yes. It? Yeah. So uh, Wired.com have done a review of it, and they really, really like it. Um, pretty much saying it's their favourite instant camera. You know, it's the it's the best. Um, and um, so it's, it's a really glowing review, but with the caveat that it costs 300 quid. What? Uh, yeah, <laughs> which is, uh, I think, the Fuji Instax Mini, which is the next best. And they say, really, there's not an awful lot between them. Uh, it's just over 100. Yeah, I've got that for my birthday. 
okay. Yeah, I use you it. You like it? Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. I love you. I love Does that do the little kind of almost not sort of business card size or <laughs> yeah, smaller? Yeah, I'd say they're about something like 90 by 40, feet, 40 or 50 mil. I don't know what yeah, the exact so, so size is. Yeah, not the standard Polaroid no, the, they do make a larger one than that. I think Alid had it, um, but their films for that are quite expensive. They, do, you know, Polaroids. Yeah. Although they stopped making them, they had stockpiled quite a lot of them. But they they mm. went off a couple of years ago, didn't they? The, the chemicals went off, so they just yeah. don't work anymore. But yeah, so Fuji is the only ones you can get. I've tried to find other makers, but that's it. Um, you can get yeah. black and white in color. Cool. Um, but they're really cool. Great, great little cameras. Why you'd want to pay £200 more. I mean, like, you know, the red dot is why you want to pay yeah. £200 more. Um, yeah. They say it's, you know, it's it's almost like Leica's version of that Fuji camera. Um, but they do say it's not actually as nice to hold in the hand, although it feels nice and the build quality is nice. It still is plastic. Yeah. But they say it's got quite uh, sharp corners, although it's got rounded corners. They're quite angular. So it doesn't really feel comfortable in your hand. Yeah, because this is the, the great thing about our one. It's it's quite big, but um, little kids can hold it, and um, yeah. we often give it to Kitty to take photos, and um, you know she she can use it straight away. And she they love kids love it when it come. You know, you get the little photo popping yeah. at the top. Um, yeah, I I, th- I think they're fantastic. I really recommend them. And it, sorry, just to convert, it is a like a film based thing, isn't it? It doesn't. It's not like a little printer. No, it's there. no, it's proper Polaroid. Yeah. Okay. Shake it, shake it can like a Polaroid picture. Can you do that thing where it's where before it's developed properly? You can kind of push the the chemicals around. Have you ever no, done that? Yeah, we, yeah. No, it's a bit too um, it's too efficient. It's not like the old Instamatics. Mm. Uh, yeah, mm. where you could yeah you could really overexpose loads of bits. Can, no, they're only tiny. They're they're only tiny, but they're great and they're dotted all around our kitchen. So. Yeah, love yeah cool. I've got a bit of news. Uh, cool. the, one, one thing was um, following on from the advertising conversation that we had last week that nobody's listened to yet because we haven't <laughs> put it out. <laughs> but but we, we talked about um, how with the new um, browsers coming out, that especially Apple are on the case of ad blocking um, mm-hmm. and uh, stopping um, advertisers following you in that kind yeah. of remarketing behavior. Uh, we were we were sort of pondering on why what what media companies are going to do or, um, or advertising agencies to try and get revenue from their customers and one one of them was about just producing better better content and there's something on mm-hmm. Creative Review this week that um, I hadn't noticed before but I'm, I'm sure they've been there already but it was um, they've got sponsored sponsored content now which yes I, I've seen that I, I I'm not comfortable with um in terms of when you're writing a um an article about uh, st- well, for example this one here is is in partnership with a company called huckle tree who do uh, i think it's like a hot desking workplace yeah um and the article is called style over substance our co-working spaces choosing aesthetics over practicality um and it's just an advert uh, I'm not mm. sure that um that's what I bought into when creative review decided to go to you know to half the amount of um, uh, of printed copies that they were going to produce, yeah, um, and their original site uh, had hardly any advertising on it. It now is absolutely crammed full of advertising, and it's really yeah. noticeable. It's you know, it's full of JavaScript nastiness. Um, so yeah, it, it's you know, they're obviously experimenting with trying to raise money, um, and I understand advertorials, etc. But I think when you're 
putting them very, very close to, to news articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like you turn a page of a magazine and you, you can kind of see, oh, yeah, this is an advertorial. Th- these are yeah. hidden away inside them. So yeah, it very much looks like an article, doesn't it? Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I get what they're experimenting with, but I, I just, I'm not sure whether, whether people will, will trust that kind of news source. Mm. It's creeping into, um, not to this quite to the same extent, but, uh, it's creeping into reporting for newspapers in that you get things like, but I've noticed it particularly with cricket. So the England cricket team sponsored by Waitrose. And you see often articles in the Guardian or interviews, and it'll say this interview was conducted in association with Waitrose, whatever, party food or something. Um, and I've, I've read uh, quite a few uh, journalists on Twitter saying how uncomfortable they feel about having to mention a sponsor in an article like that. Mm. It's, it's just kind of creeping, isn't it? Um, often uh, journalists uh, are not business minded and therefore they're not looking out for, you know, the money, the revenue side of things. And so you, I realise that, you know, these businesses must make revenue. But when you start hiding or trying to trick well, it's, it's tricks a strong word, but when you're trying to uh, smooth over the fact that an article is written entirely for the benefit of the sponsor, uh, yeah. rather than tell any kind of story or truth, then I think it's yeah. a, a slippery slope and has to yeah, be. Yeah, because I mean, they used to do it in a, in a more uh, honest way, didn't they? You know, quite often in a magazine, you get an article about something, and then they the, the magazine will try and sell an ad opposite that article to a company related to that project. Yeah. So, you know, to that content. Um, but now it's like the two have merged. Yeah. It's sinisterly. very, very grey, isn't it? Mm, it is. <clears throat> Speaking of sinister, um, ro- the rise of the robots continues. There's been lots of sort of, again, spurious news stories about the growth of, um, they've taken Am- Amazon as an example, the growth yep. of uh, their robot army, they've now hit a hundred thousand robot uh, units around the world in their working in their warehouses. Um, and Tristan Hunt was on radio four this morning um, talking. Uh, he's the director of VNA, uh, ex, mm. ex labor politician, uh, if you're not yep. from the UK. And he um, was talking about uh, concerned with the drop in non-STEM subjects being ta- uh, being taken on at schools um, at GCSE level and above. And yep. STEM is uh, science, technology, technology. engineering, maths. And maths. Yeah. yeah. So uh, um, we're talking about the arts here and um, the fall off on them, especially affecting the design and creative industries. And there's a there's a large um, debate always going on about whether creative is a creative industries are you know uh, airy fairy as we all know. Um, but um, they were they was it was funny listening to them and the presenters uh, the scoffing about the rise of robots and the rise of automation. Um, but I think it's one of the big key fear points for facing, especially what you know um, Western civilization. In terms oh of, come on, come on, John! You think driverless cars are a century away? Yeah, you can't be worried about robots. <laughs> I think if we've seen the growth in from something, you know, in just a year, that the Amazon have doubled their uh, their robot yeah. use. Um, 
we've got to balance that alongside the fact that that's going to increase um, uh, the need for human workers uh, alongside them. Um, you know, we you can't just say uh, all jobs are going to be replaced by robots, but I think that there's going to be a very, very rapid um, swing towards automation. And that's going to happen way, way sooner than automated cars. <laughs> Uh, I'll just chip in quickly with one uh, robot-related news. Did you see the headline that a sex robot was sent for repairs after being molested at a tech fair? <coughs> <coughs> the realistic doll was left heavily soiled after visitors got too hands-on. No. There you go. I'll say no more about that. <laughs> uh, we don't deserve robots. Batteries not included. Yeah. Uh, have you got any other news? I don't think I've got any other news to uh, to speak of. I have no news. <laughs> Okie dokie. Uh, so which of our two topics are we going to um, start with, John? Let's talk. Uh, should we talk about the book? Yeah, let's. Uh, so Mike Montero, you're my favorite client. His follow-up to Design is a Job. So Design is a Job we talked about. Was it our first book of the month, Design is a Job? Possibly, yeah. Certainly one of the first ones, wasn't it? Um, was kind of a, a kick up the backside for people working in the design industry about how they should kind of, it's quite tricky, about, you know, kind of their professional responsibilities and how that, you know, there are no such thing as bad clients. You know, if, if you've got a bad client, it's because you haven't communicated things properly. And it was full of uh, Mike's pearls of wisdom from, 20 or 30 years working in the design industry uh, where he's now a uh, co-owner uh, and know, chairman of uh, Mule in San Francisco, I think, or is it Chicago? No, San I think Francisco. I got both. Yeah. yeah. Um, so his follow-up is, uh, as you said, it's geared more towards the client perspective. So the idea is that you would give this book to a new client uh, or an old client that you you feel could benefit from it. And it helps them have a better relationship with you as a designer. Um, so it tells them uh, how to hire designers, what kind of designer they might need, whether it's an in-house, a contractor or a freelancer, uh, <clears throat> how to uh, put together a brief, how to give feedback, how to deal with, problems uh, and all the responsibilities as a client that you have um, towards a designer in terms of uh, the way you give them information and the way you manage the project from your side. Um, This is quite an interesting read, although I don't feel there's anything kind of life-changing in it. It's quite nice to just uh, be able to, for a while, look at things from the from the client's point of view, which I think you kind of did with this previous book, but this just takes it a step further. Um, it made me want to do more design work, um, which I always get from reading Mike's books, because I always think to myself after reading them, I could be a better designer than I am. Whereas I actually barely design anything these days. But um, So yeah, that's a quick overview. What did you think? Not of my overview of the book. <coughs> Excellent Obviously, overview. Thought my overview was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I think it was a good book. It's overly long um, for mm. a client to read. To expect a client to read it, 
Um, and it also it is very centered on long web projects. Uh, often, yes, it is. If you yeah, if you work for an agency that's print, that's pr- primarily print based, then um, a lot of the projects are very very short term. The pie the pie disaster continues. Uh, note to self: Do not put plastic container containing pie into the oven. <laughs> you're you're having a bit of a mare, aren't you? Recently, yeah. If you're not dropping them, you're melting them. Also, <laughs> you, you do I'll need to get some oil on that door. I know. It's when the uh, heating's on. I had to put the heating on this week. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I know. I'm going to need to get a new, uh, an electric plane. Anyway, uh, where was I? I was saying about... Overly long. Uh, what my, what oh, my yes, comment um, was. Pro- <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you, no, you were talking about uh, projects being uh, very short-term on, if, if you're working in print. Yeah, so you, yeah, you definitely wouldn't give this book to someone if they were just doing press ads or whatever. Um, mm. They just wouldn't understand what you're talking about. The turnaround's too quickly and there's no time for any of the kind of the research-based design that, that yes. he does. And Mule Studios are very, very heavily research-based, aren't they? But yeah. all of his um, comments and suggestions are built on an incredible career in design and an amazing amount of, uh, of experience. And I kind of agree, agree with everything he says. Um, I just, I just thought the book could be 50 pages shorter, (laughs) a little bit, a little bit more concise. You don't have to do side, you know, throw away gags with every single sentence in a book. No, there were a few repetitive bits in there as well. I felt. Yeah. But, um, so, so it t- talks the, the, the most important thing and it kicks off with it is, you know, why, why do you need design? And he argues that so well. Um, and mm. so, uh, yeah, I'd really, really recommend reading the book. It took me about an hour and a half to read the book. It's only 120 pages and it's a tiny format book. Um, yeah. I read it in three commutes. Yeah. What do you mean it inspired you to want to do design? What, what do you mean? I don't do much design. Anymore, the stuff I do when I'm freelancing is production stuff, um, and when I'm at home working from home, I'm doing illustration stuff. So I think uh, I don't know. He, he makes me yearn for that that excitement of starting a new project, and he makes me realise that I could be better at it than I have been in the past by putting into practice some of the things he says, which, as we've said, there's there's nothing new in there. It's just full of common sense advice, but it's, it's just bundles of stuff that it's easy to lose track of. Um, I think, you know, you could read one of his books, you know, maybe once a year just to remind yourself of some kind of fundamental stuff about being a designer and the relationship you have with the client and your responsibility to the project. Um yeah, I could have, See, I, I could have, I could have done with reading this as I was meant to, but I forgot to take it with me this morning. Um, on the train up to this meeting, because it was a kind yeah. of a kickoff kickoff meeting, um, and the client had all the expectations that um, that you know are going to come up. For example, mm. how much is this going to cost? Uh, can we have it by the end of November? And um, all these kind of things where you're you're still actually, you know. I think Mike Montero says it better in terms of, you know, the design process isn't the pictures, it's the planning, the sort of, you know, the forecasting and the project management yeah. is all part of that. And yeah. so you can't start a project 
if you start jumping straight into design, then, you know, you are, you are missing out all the real good bits um, and the benefits that you're going to bring to the customer in terms of improving their product. Um, yeah. And and that's the conversation you've got to have. And it's really difficult when you're talking to people for the, who are dealing with it for the first time. So this book would be very helpful, but I think also very overwhelming for somebody mm. who hadn't commissioned design before. Um, I yeah, think you can would, almost distill it into a little booklet to well, give to your clients, it, it which reminded, is something you thought about doing. Yeah, it reminded me of the – because we produced one ep- <laughs> one. Uh, version of it before we were sold to another business. Um, and our opening one was, was defining a brief. Um, but maybe it should have been what is design. Yeah. Um, because this one doesn't really talk about defining a brief and what a brief is all about. It's more about how to create a relationship with a designer um, yeah. and how to mold that. But I think if you, I don't know what the percentage of designers would, would follow this, you know, by rote, I think it would be very small amount so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no way. I'm, I'm sure even Mike Matera doesn't uh, hold to everything he says in that book because it's very sort of prescriptive in sort of methodology, isn't it? Yeah. Um, whereas I just don't think, you know, you have to kind of work off the cuff a lot of the time. Um, but I think a lot of, you know, there's a couple of studios I've worked in um, when I was working in pharmaceutical marketing where projects because of kind of legal and scientific stuff, you know, you can be designing a booklet for a year and, you know, it can get to a version 197 where, you know, obviously you have these very long-term relationships with the client where it could be of benefit. Um, uh, yeah. A lot of it is just, is, is opening eyes, isn't it? Either as a designer, as to, to what the client is going through and what they do and don't understand or for the client opening their eyes as to what the design process is. I think, you know, if you have a, an open relationship where you can discuss things um, and be honest with each, with each other about it, then it makes for a, a better result at the end. And my pie has arrived. Hooray. Carried, carried up on a golden cushion with a silver cloche. Yeah, but it was good. But I... I I have written down in my notes any book, any book that quotes Inigo Montoya is worth reading. But it did annoy me, as you pointed out earlier, his misuse of one of my most annoying misused sayings, which nearly made me swear on the train. <laughs> um, but it was a good one. I enjoyed it. And like a lot of these, uh, it's a book apart. Um, we were talking about them. We talked about them going to their kind of Patreon funding method last week. Um, you know, they're, they're easily consumable, aren't they, their books? Yeah. One of the reasons, actually, his his books are so easy to read is he writes in very short sentences, which is probably how he talks, I think, quite kind of uh, staccato. He's, uh, have you heard him talk? Yeah, well, I've seen his um, his famous talk, which I can't repeat the title of. Oh yeah, it's the very one, sweary. Something pay me. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, he's good. I mean, this book is much less adversarial than um, his previous one, and there's no swearing in it. I don't think. No, no there's, a, there's a few. Um, there? No. Yeah, but I think. Um, yeah, I think 
definitely something to read if you've got a big project kicking off um it would be a really good thing to mm. uh, read and make notes and then um actually uh, use that as a sort of framework to um to make sure that the conversation with the new client goes in the right direction for you as a designer yeah and if you work in a studio of whatever size it's a great book for other people you work with to read too you know particularly account managers or studio manage production managers uh, just to kind of get everyone on the same page, I think. Mm. Our thing was to write like a little diary, of, but I realised that, you know, my life is pretty boring. So um, <laughs> do you want to do your day, what you did today? What, what is, what's well, your, oh, we were talking about what, what, you know, a life in the day of and, and what does that consist of? Um, and what is your usual day to day? Because people love, love finding out what other people do. Yeah. Well, my days, I think, I have three kinds of days. So I have freelancing in London days, working from home days, which is usually illustration, and then weddings, where I'm helping my wife set up weddings. Uh, today was number one. So I was freelancing in London today. So 7.53, my commute of two heaving trains via Fulwell Clapham to Shoreditch, uh, and an hour and 40 minutes of travel. Um, but that was an opportunity to read uh, The Old Ways, which I'm enjoying. Thank you again, John. Uh, which is, uh, yeah, a real nice antidote to the commute. Uh, get to Shoreditch about 25 past nine, grab a coffee and maybe some breakfast and head into the studio, where generally everyone is milling around in the studio. There's about 22 people in the office at the minute. It's kind of packed. All the desks are full. Um, probably half of them are freelance. Um, so there's generally a few people in there I haven't been introduced to or I've perhaps forgotten their names or they're sat in a corner of the office and I don't know what they do. Um, there's one guy in the office at the minute uh, who looks like he's just come from Cirque du Soleil uh, in kind of crazy leggings and baggy shorts and... Uh, and I, I don't know what he does. He sits with he sits on a laptop. He doesn't sit on a laptop. He sits with a laptop. It might be something to do with motion graphics. Could be completely wrong. Haven't been introduced to him. Uh, yeah. And then so things kind of settled down today. I was kind of straight into work because I've kind of got a couple of ongoing bits and pieces in the office. So it was head down, headphones on, listening to uh, Cherry Ghost. Do you know Cherry Ghost? No. English band. I don't know if it's just a, a single guy, but I heard a bit of his music on uh, Guy Garvey's show a couple of weeks ago. So I've been listening to one of his albums recently. Very nice. Uh, and then the work I'm doing at the minute, is because it's production, it's incredibly repetitive. It's setting up files, exporting assets, saving files, packaging them up. Uh, and it's one of those days where RSI kind of threatens to rear its ugly head. So you know, you do that kind of claw with your left hand on the keyboard with, you know, command all or command shift. And then you're stretching for a, another key with two of your other fingers. And you kind of get this palsied hand uh, that starts to wake after a good couple of hours. Uh, lunch, I go to a place called White Rabbit Studios in Shoreditch, which is just around the corner from the office. Uh, and it's a photographic studio. So there's often kind of stuff going on but they've got a little cafe attached and it's always, it's nearly always quiet. So I go in there sit down there, have a coffee, sometimes a sandwich and sketch. So today I was working on 
the thumbnail storyboard for my October project, uh, drawing some ideas for a beer label uh, for someone I know on social media who's going to pay me in beer, and uh, working on some very rough ideas for a little illustration project for BBC R&D department, which is quite cool. A little sci-fi illustration for them, which I can't really say anything else about at the minute. Um, back at the office at 2... Sorry, i got a little dog just jumped on my lap, if you hear that noise. Oh, that's all right. Hello, Ralphie. Uh, yeah, back in the office at 2, more of the same. <clears throat> and then I finished at 4.45 today because I had caught up with the uh, retouches. So I was waiting for images from them so I could set up artwork files. Um, so there was nothing else for me today. So I came home, early finish, and my journey... My, Homeward journey is a bit different, so I go Shoreditch, Canada Water, Waterloo, and then back to Fullwell. Um, and again, it's even at 4.45, it's heaving. And then got home, wife picked me up from the station, got home, and had a quick hour or so of writing notes for the show. Got the pie ready, chose my beer, plugged in the microphone, Bob's your uncle. Yeah. There you go. So that's pretty typical, really, for um, if I'm in London. Lots of travelling. Yeah, good three hours, three and a half hours travelling a day. Um, coffee and lunch are my uh, escapes from the tedium. What about you? What about your day? Yours was atypical for you, wasn't it? Yeah, very much so. Um, up and showered and, uh, yeah, trying to, yeah, I had to get a 744 train, so I have to drive, um, which is about six miles into Alton. And um, I hadn't charged my phone. I um, forgot my coffee and glasses, so I had to come back. I, uh, yeah, so I, it was, you know, I didn't take a plug. Um, it was pretty disastrous all around. I didn't take the book I was meant to be reading. So um, anyway, I got to the train just in time. It was a bit of a rush. Uh, went through the docks that I was sent yesterday for the meeting that I had. Top of Leicester Square. Yeah, and as I was making notes, the iPad kept just shutting down, weirdly. Uh, which was really annoying. Um, and uh, anyway, so I made the notes, quickly rushed uh, onto the tube, walked up from Leicester Square to the hospital club, which is um, weirdly where I had my last meeting when I went to London. And I only go to London um, maybe four or five times a year, something like that. <laughs> it's not very much. So uh, You yeah, should ask for some sort of affiliate membership. I know. And uh, and went to the top floor there where there's, a cafe, well, there's lots of cafes and bars in there. Um, and... I had a meeting with um, these NDA clients and a, and a consultant that I've worked with other things on before with uh, lots of arty farty people in there drinking carrot juice and fresh ginger. And <laughs> uh, and then I just, uh, that went on for a couple of hours and then I just literally walked back to Waterloo for a bit of a stretch. I managed to just jump on a train as it was leaving, did some work on the train, jumped off, jumped into Waitrose, got some bread and spotted a celeb waiting for a taxi Ooh, at Alton Station. I've been waiting. I've been. I've been waiting to hear about this. I think he's a he's a fellow county man of yours. I think oh. Alan Titmarsh. He is indeed. Yep, he uh, was uh, the Titch. Yeah, the Titch. Uh, he was um, waiting, looking very dapper. Yeah, which is you know not to you don't see many dapper people in Alton. No, uh, and uh, then back home, quick late lunch. I read half the book quickly while I was having lunch. And then went into the office, had three print print deadlines that had come in, you know, un, unasked for, which was nice. Easy. 
So they went off to print and I had to, while I was doing it, the guy was waiting in his office and I had to render a three, an 8,000 pixel wide rubber duck, which is actually quite a large render. It is, isn't it? Because <laughs> it was going on a pull-up an, banner. An um, atypical day. Yeah. Um, and then I had to go and get Kitty and um, and then fled to this study to uh, to um, read the rest of the book. Yeah. And, uh, and, and here I am. So that's a very atypical day. Normally it would be the sort of the latter half, just uh, literally triaging emails. But um, but yeah, it's nice, nice to get out. But I, 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 it was a very much a uh, a uh, lightning visit to London. Yeah, I always like that little walk from uh, kind of Soho Way or Covent Garden back across the bridge and down the South Bank to Waterloo. Yeah, it's really nice. And and I and I, I was with uh, my friend Carly, who's um, the content strategist, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, so we had a nice chat about stuff, and yeah, it was uh, cool. it was all right. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I I I always like to go to a to a gallery or something like that when I'm not there. But I just I I knew I had too much to do, and it is a it's nearly a four hour round trip. So yes, a bit of a track, isn't it? Because yeah. you live out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Ralph is literally got his nose against the microphone. Oh. He's got something to say. What have you got to say? I was talking. To, I, was, I was talking about Ralphie to, uh, to someone at work today, who's got a little uh, similarly coloured Jack Russell. Yeah. Yes. So, oh yeah. I didn't say I went for a run uh, this week, and um, dogs like to roll into disgusting things. But how about this one? A, uh, a half decomposed carcass of a piglet. Wow. Yeah. Where was that? Just in the road somewhere. Now, I wasn't nice. sure whether it was a wild boar or a or a piglet. Yeah, who knows? There wasn't there wasn't enough to be recognisable. Well, there was a big sort of pile of fur, but that could have been an, that could have been a badger, um, or it could have just sloughed off off its fur coat. <laughs> I had to go back two there. Two corpses or just one? Well, I don't know. That was it. If it had slid out of its furry outer garment so down because it, it was on a hill. If- <laughs> Terrible if a, a pig and a badger had uh, made yeah. friends and then and then met the similar end, or they fought to death, and oh, so therefore you know who would win a fight between a piglet and a badger? Neither of them; they both killed each other. Yeah, but well, it was yeah. so black and bloated and fly blown that I couldn't tell, um, and I I didn't really want to hang around because Ralph no. was ro- rolling in its carcass. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, uh, with that, should, should we go on to pie? Yeah. Talking of um, fetid carcasses, uh, I've got another higgledy pie. <laughs> That'll be their new advertising campaign slogan sorted. Yeah. This is a reduced one. It's a uh, a mushroom feta and spinach little pie, which is in no way a pie. It's a quiche. I think I think I've had this. I think I, I might think have I had. I liked it. Yeah, it, I've been picking at it, and it's actually quite nice. Um, it's got a wholemeal crust to it. Imagine a quiche with some muesli on top. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, they don't really like a pastry top, do they, Higgity? No, cheapskates. Well, they're, t- they're too good for a pastry top. Well, normally you just get a pastry so top. They, so they you? think. Yeah. So this does legitimately mean that we can move on to quiches then? Or is that heresy? Well, I don't know, John. It's quite nice. It's, it is a quiche. Someone else to do this I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm going to give it a five. It's not that bad. Yeah, okay. Even with the melted what? plastic. <laughs> what have you been drinking tonight? Ginger beer. Oh, good. I like a ginger beer. 
Mm. Uh, I have got oh, what, what did you get a five for that? Yeah. Was it a five? I've got a steak and stout pie oh, yeah. from the Real Pie Company, short crust and flaky on top, and uh, mm. it's crunchy. Do you know it's just like a really good traditional steak pie? It's tasty. It's really moist. Pastry's good. Can't really taste the stout. You never can, you know, can you? Do, can, can you ever taste? Well, some taste quite quite boozy, I think. Mm. Um, but no, this just tastes like a, a nice gravy. It's not that rich, uh, sort of deeper gravy, but it's tasty. Um, I get a good seven point. Oh, actually, hang on. Seven and three quarters. <clears throat> Moving on to fractions. I'm going to have to get somebody else to do this podcast with. <laughs> well, that goes quite well with my uh, export stout from the Colonel. And was that was that enjoyed? Yeah, it was. Um, again, a bit like last week's or the week before's. It, it does look when you pour it out of the thing like you've drained a radiator, but um, tasty enough. Mmm, radiator. Mm. So next week, um, are you coming over here? Yeah, I'm going to try and get over to you. I think uh, next week we'll go out for a pub lunch or something. Mm-hmm. Mm. Jolly good. Right, well... Marvellous. Are you going to edit uh, a podcast this week? Yep, I'm going to put the last week's live um, possibly uh, in the morning, and then I'll edit this one um, over the weekend. Cool. How about that? Perfect. Yes, thanks for listening. Thanks for chatting, John. Thanks for the book again. You're welcome. Most enjoyable. And and, uh, thanks for the the memories. No... Uh, best of luck with uh, Inktober. Is that it? What it's called? You too. I keep Inktober. calling it Inst- Instagram, which I think is a better better name for it. I think that's quite good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, you need to set that up. You've got nothing else to do. <laughs> On that ink bombshell, I say goodbye. Good night. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.